tangent, to break off suddenly from a line or train of thought and pursue another course. Webster's. Another fantastic episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. This is a show where we are looking at the Tangent Universe related books published by DC Comics, wherein an all star lineup of creators gave us a brand new universe based on only the names of existing DC characters. For the past few episodes, we've been looking at the Superman's Reign miniseries, which features the Tangent characters meeting, teaming up with, and, because this is comics, eventually fighting characters from the regular DC Universe. This is episode 26 of the show, which means we're beginning the backside of that series with a look at Superman's Reign number 7 from 2008. And the we in that sentence, by the way, is your hosts, including myself, Michael Bradley, and my good friend, Sean Engel. How you hey, doing, everyone. Sean? I'm doing great. It's good to be talking some more tangent comics. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, we're not talking tangent comics that are drawn by Jamal Igel, which mm. does does minimize the books a little bit. But, you yes. know, I'm still looking for some positive in here. I think the, I think the stories are really good, despite the fact that, you know, Jamal Igel is gone. We miss you, Jamal. We really do. And as a benefit for the listeners, they don't have to look at the art. I shouldn't say yes. don't have to look at the art because they – well. But we, they don't have the art to look at necessarily if they don't have the issues. So Yeah, that's true. And and we'd prefer that if you're listening to this while you're driving or in a car that you try not to look at the art while you're driving because that would be detrimental to both of us. Right. Or both of you and I. And something. Don't drive and read comics. It's bad. Yeah. Just as an aside, not to throw us way off topic right at the beginning of the show, I was walking my dog the other day and I saw a woman driving an SUV down the street. She had her left arm hanging out the car window. And her right hand was up at the side of her face, holding her cell phone. So I'm not sure how she was steering the thing. Um, But I've got to assume knees or thighs. That's uh, yeah. Well, there you go. But (laughs) But anyway, we have we have uh, some email to get into. I think. Oh, cool. Let's go ahead and do that then. All right. Do you want to take the first one there from Gene? Yes, let me pull up my email here. The first one from Gene is talking about Superman's Reign number four. He writes in to us saying, Sean and Michael, this version of Superman strikes me as Dr. Doom with mental powers. Hmm. He's obviously doing all this because everything would be better under his rule, right? Does that make him more of an antihero than a villain? That's the kind of mark of a good story, really. It makes you think about both sides and determine whether or not the ends of the antagonist justify the means. Gene. 
And he says, P.S. Sorry for the short email, but you guys seem to have co- have everything pretty much covered. So uh, that's it. Yes. Thank, thank goodness we actually covered it completely and well. So that's that's always a surprise for us. Uh, that's a good email, Gene. So what do you what do you think about that Doctor Doom comparison? Um, I actually kind of I actually kind of like it. Uh, I've listened to a lot of uh, Professor Allen's podcasts. As we know, Professor Allen is a big advocate of Doctor Doom mm-hmm. being that sort of anti-hero character, of uh, being a a benevolent dictator type person who wants to better society. But through his own means, and a lot of people may see his means as contradictory towards what the way they're feeling about things. But in uh, in the end product, Doctor Doom is actually working out pretty well, at least for his country of Latveria. So, I was I wonder if uh, you know Professor Allen would have had anything to say about that. As it happens, I forwarded Gene's email. At, at, since Allen is the foremost Doctor Doom apologist on the internet. I wouldn't say apologist. I would say approvalist, probably. Okay, that works too. <laughs> I, I forwarded him Gene's email to get his uh, thoughts on it, and he replied with well, – what was a pretty good reply, so I'm just going to read that out. I hope that's okay with Alan. I, I think I told him I was going to read it in the show. Anyway, he writes, Doom has been written by many writers over the past five decades, but I far prefer the stories where he is presented as an antihero versus a flat-out villain. For one thing, that gives the character more depth – allows him to be a more layered and nuanced character. That is why the Doom 2099 is my favorite comic book series of all time. When Doom is written best, his goal is not just the accumulation of power for power's sake. On to the specific question. I do think that a major part of the difference between an anti-hero and a villain is the motivation. When written well, Doom sincerely believes the world would be a better place, peacefully, or, or sorry, peaceful, more productive, more prosperous, if he were simply allowed to run it without anyone's pesky interference, especially that annoying Mr. Stretchy Pants, or whatever his name is. The, gra- the graphic novel Emperor Doom tackles this topic pretty well, and shows Doom actually growing bored controlling the entire planet, despite how successful his vision for the world actually is. And in that version, he has used the Purple Man's mental powers to aid his planetary conquest, so there is definitely a strong similarity to the Tangent Superman. Was the Tangent Superman raised in the Midwest by the Kents? I usually find that their influence definitely helps check whatever temptations Superman, being the, the DC Universe Superman, may have towards exercising ultimate power. Most of the quote-unquote dictatorial, alternative versions of Superman do touch on this aspect on him still wanting the best for the world, and with his powers, he has a chance of accomplishing that. But he needs to learn the lessons of Emperor Doom, that with ultimate power does come ultimate boredom. Professor Alan Middleton, Department Chair of Doomology, Doomonomics, and Doom Studies, Latveria State University, Central Ohio Campus. I, I didn't real, First of all, I didn't realize La, the Latveria State University had expanded to Ohio. Uh, the, but, they're expanding everywhere. Um, it, it's, not, it's not as well known as a lot of other expansions of different universities. It's kind of on the down low, but uh, they're, they're, they're reaching out uh, to, to other places. So. Fair enough. I, I I agree with Professor Allen as as you would have to since uh, say that too loud. Uh, <laughs> Doom commands it. Oh. <laughs> um, but um, I think it's yeah. I agree. You know, there there are some similarities of this, and knowing that the Purple Man, who I guess is a character who can manipulate people's uh, manipulate people's minds by uh, asking them to do something, and then they'll do it, which is obviously manipulation of people's minds. But I think. 
if I, I think that's kind of a cheat for Doom. I think because he happened, he had to have that happen. And he did, wasn't able to do it necessarily by himself. That could have made it feel that it was far too simple for him. I think I think Doom enjoys a challenge, and maybe maybe that was why he got so bored. Uh, because he was ruling the planet. But, uh, unfortunately, I haven't read the Emperor Doom storyline. I, I probably need to get on that as well. And just to compare it back to the, the tangent Superman, we, we'll probably get into more of this uh, later in this episode and next, but I, I think one thing that separates them is that maybe Doom Doom's ego, I think, is a lot more than the tangent Superman. I think... I think just from what we've seen, there could be potential for them to talk down the tangent Superman and and reason with him. But right now, he just sees he sees a need for curing the ills of society, and he has just stepped up to do that. And I think if you were to to approach him and talk with him reasonably, there could be a chance of talking him down and saying, "Okay, well, let's you know, let's do it this way." We can still fix all these things just without you being a dictator, you know. But with Doom, he he wants that power, but maybe just not for power's sake. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I I do see I do see that. I can see the tangent Superman as being one who would be wanting to have this perfect society, but being willing to be reasonable about it. Yes, I don't see Doom. Doom is one of these people where it's his way or the highway. Mm-hmm. You, you either do as Doom says or you suffer the consequences. The Tangent Superman does seem to be one who does want to have this uh, utopian society but also would be willing to take advisement on how to reach that that might not be as oppressive as Doom might want to have the, yeah. the society. Well said. So. The, the oppressive part. Yeah, very yeah. – that's what I was trying to say and couldn't get the words out. No problem. Uh, but thank you, Gene, for the email and, and – Alan for the input. That was interesting conversation and just, you know, it just shows how much interesting thought is coming out of these books. So, mm-hmm. Well, we've got, oh, do you want to read this? Uh, I'll read this last email okay. we've got from, uh, we've got that from Dylan. Uh, this one is from Dylan Begani. Uh, he writes in talking about Convergent Comics. He says, hi, Sean and Michael. Hi, guys. Sorry that I've been late to the quote unquote party of emailing both of you. I've been a listener since the beginning and have been delightfully surprised at just how good these comics could be. I'm a little behind on the podcast, but I am trying to catch up. Sadly, though, I don't think I'm doing too well. Well, don't worry. Well, you know, the the sad thing about this podcast is that, unfortunately, unless the actual commentary that you told me about who's going to be writing the new 12-issue series <laughs> of Tangent Comics is true, which it better not be, uh, This episode, these episodes are going to be coming to a close soon, so you'll have plenty of time to catch up on all the episodes of this show. But continuing on, he says, uh, I don't, uh, he says, recently I purchased the six Convergence comic books, New Teen Titans, The Flash, and The Justice League of America's number one and two, that had the tangent characters, and I thought they were all pretty good. Are you going to cover them on the podcast? That'd be neato. Um, I think we kind of talked about them uh, in episode yeah. uh, 25. We uh, talked a little bit about them. Was it 20? Well, 25 was last episode. Yeah, I can't remember. We, we've talked about them in several episodes because we talked about like the first 
issues, and then we talked about the second issues. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, I know. We kind of cover. We didn't really specifically flat out cover them like we did uh, the issues that we're going to do today. But we kind of gave my general opinions on them, and I agree with you. I thought they were good issues. I thought uh, some of them were better than the other, but overall, I thought they were you know better than a lot of the other comics that I've been reading. So mm-hmm. uh, specifically better than the Convergence story itself. I thought that was had its ups and downs, but I thought the convergence books with the tangent characters were really good but dylan finished it up the uh, email saying keep up the great work dylan uh, he's a listener of michael's podcast and he says p.s i know it's late but can you say a quick happy birthday mine was on may 16th cool Oops. <laughs> i missed that by a few uh, happy birthday dylan happy birthday and i hope you had a great birthday i hope you got some cool comics i hope you got some uh fun stuff and i hope you had a good time yep We'll go ahead and uh, close the email bag for right now and move on to uh, the comic. Yes. All right. Well, this one, as we said at the beginning, was Tangent Superman's Reign number seven. It was cover dated November 2008 and released on September 17th of the same year with a cover price of $2.99 US. The title, of course, was Superman's Reign chapter seven. The writer was Dan Jurgens. Penciler this time out was Wes Craig. The inker was Dan Davis. Letterer was Travis Lanham. Colorist Candela Tripp. Editor Nachi Castro. And the cover art was by Andre Tong. Of course, the Tangent Universe was created by Dan Jurgens. 
Scaling the outside of Tangent Superman's Swiss Fortress, the New Earth Batman and Tangent Manhunter Laurie Morris decide not to stop and chat with Tangent Sammy Davis Jr. and instead focus on their mission at hand, rescuing Batman's comrades. Reaching the top, Laurie tells the Batman she wasn't used to all this quote-unquote assault commando shtick when her heroic persona was the Joker, something that gives the Dark Knight sorry, something that makes the Dark Knight give her the stink eye. Fortunately, Batman doesn't have time to grouse over the parallel Earth pseudonyms as the tangent Batman makes an aerial strike on the base. While Batman Red distracts the anti-aircraft guards, the tangent Spectre, Green Lantern, and Pooch take out the guards on the inside. Batman Blue and Manhunter wonder how much more resistance they'll have to go through, but as they open the main gate, they find that Batman Red has taken care of it. Permanently. Meanwhile, Tangent Superman, Power Girl, and Orion have decided to take a magical mystery tour to the NYC Port Authority to check out how the 99% are faring. Power Girl says that she's worried about leaving the travelers alone, but Superman seems to think that its installation is guarded well enough. Of course, Superman didn't expect Batman Red and Batman Blue to be assaulting the fortress, as they've managed to take down all of the guards. As the Outsiders head toward their captive friends, Batman asks Tangent Green Lantern why they haven't met any resistance from Superman or Power Girl, and the Lady Lantern says that she cannot detect them. However, she does detect a breach of some sort, something that puzzles a watching Sir William and Vincent Lord, the hero known as Hex. As the two mystical heroes try to determine Superman's whereabouts, the Outsiders are beset upon by Superman's bug-like robots. Back with the Tangent Man of Tomorrow, he and his minions have appeared in an impoverished area of Metropolis. Harvey encounters a starving woman and child, and, being the social crusader he is, he takes the two to a fancy restaurant, pays for the meals for the rest of the month, and gives the mother, and gives the mother enough money for two years' worth of rent. Satisfied with his one act of kindness, Superman heads out to make more changes. Over at the fortress, the Outsiders are mopping up the last of the robots when William and Hex are expanding their search for Superman. As the Outsiders reach the door separating them from the hostages, Green Lantern teleports Plastic Man Gunther Gans to their location to smash down the door. Running aside, Batman Blue prepares to release the captured heroes while Spectre wonders where Superman has been all this time. And it just so happens that we cut to exactly where Superman is, walking the streets of the Big Apricot and being followed by throngs of clamoring people. Saying he's a stranger who has come to give the people not what they want, but what they need, Harvey reveals that his name is Superman. However, the crowd tends to disagree, as does the New Earth Superman, who along with the New Earth Power Girl, welcomes the strangers to Metropolis. Dun, dun, dun. Finally, the meeting between Superman and Superman. I think this is what we've Seven been wanting. Seven issues in, it's about time. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it's it's good to see this version of Superman. I, I don't want to rail on the new 52 Superman. I know a lot of people right now are very unhappy with the way things are going with Superman. But this is this for me is really nice to see the Superman. Mm-hmm. Overall, the story is still doing really well. It's slowed down a little bit because it's at the middle. But the introduction of Superman is really nice. However, the art's kind of taken a, a, a significant dip. And I think that's not – it's not saying that it's necessarily bad art, but I think when you're going from Jamal Eigel to Wes Craig, who I really don't know all that much about his art, I think you've got 
it's kind of like going from George Perez to anyone else. It's it's just going to be a, a drop of some sort, and that I could see how uh, people who were reading this at the time might have thought that oh, this is a real diminishment in the book. But I think the story actually saves this book from being disappointing. Yeah, art wise, I miss Jamal Eigel already. I mean, like you said, Eigel set the bar really, really high. Mm-hmm. But I think Wes Craig did a, a a decent job, and I think I don't know evaluating it on its own without comparing it to Eigel. I think there are some things to like, and I'm trying not to, you know just personally I'm trying not to be too hard on it because I think had Wes Craig penciled the, the previous six issues, we might not be as down, or I might not be as down on it. Um, but having looked ahead to next issue, maybe that's not the case. But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, yeah, it was a it was a decent issue. Like you said, not a lot of story progression, but it it uh, it is moving the story forward just at a lot slower pace. But I think Jurgens is doing a really good job of keeping the individual voices of the characters from the various universes and you know playing them off one another. Um, there are a couple really nice moments with the with the the DC Batman or Batman Blue as you call him and, and how he interacts with other characters and you know we'll we'll get into that by the, in the page by page but overall you know just a a decent issue not not great but not bad either yeah i think i think it does kind of it does kind of pale into comparison to the issues prior to it because they were so superlative they they had such uh, amazing endings such amazing storytelling and such amazing art that this is just it's a good issue but compared to those prior ones it just seems lesser which is unfortunate right well let's go ahead and take a break and then we'll come back and get breaking it down by pages, pages sounds page. sounds like a good idea all right yeah. hey kids this is true from cadmus to crisis a superboy podcast we're new to the Superman Podcast Network, and we're covering the 1990s Superboy. That's right, leather jacket, tights, cool shades, later x-ray vision shades, fighting sharks and sidearm, and, you know, we're covering that book. So if you want to hear about that book, check us out on iTunes or on your Android phone. Probably has an app or, you know, like, we're on Podbean, too. I don't know. Just... Hey, we're on Facebook. Check it out. Dinah Lance is a fighter, and her one-woman war is against the czars of crime, the frightened men who dread the blonde bombshell, otherwise known as Black Canary. Writer Robert Kaniger and artist Carmine Infantino created Black Canary in 1947. She debuted as a masked femme fatale that kind of skirted the law, but pretty quickly she evolved into a civic-minded crime fighter. She has mastered multiple martial arts disciplines in unarmed combat forms. Her canary crime, when properly focused, is powerful enough to punch a hole through a wall. Black Canary has, in one form or another, been part of multiple incarnations of the Justice League, the Justice Society, and Birds of Prey. I freaking fell in love with Black Canary, and I'm proud to podcast about her adventures in comics and television. Flowers and Fishnets, a Black Canary podcast. And we'll start with the cover. 
this is this is what I'm going to say. This is probably my favorite artwork in the book. The two Supermans look good. Um, our Superman, the the New Earth or Earth One Superman, looks kind of like the Superman that uh, who is it? Lionel Francis Yu drew for the uh, Birthright storyline, and I think that was what in, like in 2003, maybe. That I can't remember when that sounds was. Correct. But um, yeah, it sounds right. Somewhere I, in there. I like the design on it. the The logo. I, I think they place the characters in different positions so that the logo isn't obscuring a lot of the action in here. Mm-hmm. They still don't have the uh, trade dress of the sunburst effect, but I like the fact that this is being set uh, sort of with the uh, planet from the Daily Planet building in the background. I like that look. I, I enjoy the cover. Yeah, I like it a lot too. Both characters look pretty good, and it's a nice image of them together, even if they're they're not, you know, interacting per se. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, but moving inside, my first note isn't until page two. Okay, I've got one on page one, and this is this is just a comment on the the change between um, Igle, uh, not Jamal Eigel's artwork and Wes Craig's. And this first image here of Batman and Manhunter crawling up the thing it's it's very stylized and very cartoony. Their their legs are all kind of skinny and disproportionate. Mm-hmm. Batman's cape is ridiculously long. And it looks like the tangent moon is like it's like half a mile away from the planet. I mean, there's got to be some large. Yes. There's got to be some sort of uh, trouble with the tides and everything going on on the planet now because the moon has moved into such a close orbit to the tangent Earth. But you know, maybe it's just like that and they're mm-hmm. used to it. Um, go ahead on page two. What was your note there? I really enjoyed this scene between Batman and Laurie. It, it strikes me. Just as an aside, that having a costume with this much yellow probably isn't the most practical for a commando assault. No, no. And now that I've said that out loud, I think we said that before when the Manhunter first appeared, didn't I? I think so. But anyway, but anyway, I really liked this this whole scene with them too, with the with Batman and Manhunter and just their interaction and, and Batman's uh, sideways glance when she says she was the Joker and uh, I just really liked it. Yeah, it was it was a good conversational piece. It was nice of her laying out her character and how she's not this sort of, you know, how the Manhunter character differed from the Joker character. Mm-hmm. And and I do agree with you. I really like the little sideways glance that Batman gives her, you know, when she says she's the Joker because for for Bruce, for Batman Blue, the Joker is his arch nemesis. Yeah. And in this world, the Joker was a force for good. And it's got to take a lot of it's, it's got to take a lot of energy. It's got to take a lot of changing of your mind to wrap your head around the fact that where you are, the tangent in the tangent universe, the Joker is not someone who's trying to kill people and is not a violent criminal. So mm-hmm. the the fact that Batman gives her this little look is just it's it it works with the character. And plus he just learned last episode, the episode before, that Harvey Dent is the Superman. So mm-hmm. that kind so of adds another Exactly. You know, all of these people who are characters in Batman's world, be them tragic characters like Harvey Dent or villainous characters like the Joker are villainous characters or or not villainous characters or 
you know, different types of characters on this world. Mm-hmm. So it's it's got to be kind of a shock to the system for the Batman. Page three. Uh, Sorry. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, yeah. No, page three, We I, I really like the shot of the tangent Batman swooping mm-hmm. in, framed by the moonlight. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's, you know, as I will comment, some of the art in here doesn't look good, but the tangent Batman, I think it looks wonderful. This is just a great shot of him sort of swooping in, you know, silhouetted by the moon behind him. It's, it's just, it's good. Very good. Um, the next note I have is on page five. That's where I'm at as well. Um, as they're doing the assault on the, uh, on Superman's little fortress. Of course, the Manhunter is shooting people up and she asks, she asks Batman, she says, you don't use guns. And he goes, never. And I'm like, okay, I, I never use guns. Yeah. Never, never. All. I'll use rocket launchers and bombs and aircraft missiles and compressed line air shooters, but no guns, no guns, never. Yeah. Come on, Batman. You, you know, you've got a, you've got a thing that shoots out a compressed airline bat grapple. And I'll have another. I'll have another issue later in the book. Okay, <laughs> I, I appreciated that that bit of dialogue and the reference to the guns. Um, truthfully, I would have liked to have seen Lori being a bit more off her game here, given that it's been a decade since she did any kind of superheroing, and she's stepping into a role. You know, like she said a couple pages ago, it's quite different from what she's used to. But you know, at the same time, I realized they didn't really necessarily have room for that kind of thing without just bringing the story to a halt so mm-hmm. you know, well and also at least they acknowledge it to the dialogue i guess and also the fact that she's taking on a sort of different persona the manhunter was the a more vigilante type mm-hmm. character who who wasn't afraid of shooting people and the joker was more of a trickster character who would subdue people with her sort of daredevil like billy club thing or so the fact that she's going in all guns a blazing is got to be a bit of a change for her modus operandi to get these things done. Um, what the next page? There, there's a couple of really neat scenes on page six here. Mm-hmm. A couple of kind of impractical ones. I love the scene in the first panel where you get Pooch yeah. and Manhunter, you know, sort of you know bonding together. Yes, I love but that. You, you also have Pooch, you know, sort of like with his tongue out looking like he's ready to lick her. And that's just, are we to assume that Pooch is sort of a cyborg and there's parts of Pooch still left in this mechanized body, or is it just, you know, a robotic tongue? Either way. I mean, in, in this series, they've kind of portrayed him as acting like a real dog. Cause there was that one uh, issue where he was laying down, kind of curled up on the floor. And mm-hmm. now here he's, you know, it's being playful like a dog. Even his yeah. little paws are up on her on her shoulders. Mm-hmm. So it 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 it's a it's a wonderful little scene. But when you analyze it too much, unfortunately, like I did, you've got to go. Well, is there a real dog inside this mechanical body? Yeah. I mean, is it like RoboCop essentially, where <laughs> it's you know partial brain and organs inside the cybernetic being? But you know, best not to think about that. I, Does the he other- chase the mailman? Does he bark at the vacuum cleaner? I'm certain he does. He probably also gets upset, you know, when fireworks go off around Fourth of July as well. Um, I uh, the other thing I have on this page was we get to see Batman sort of crack a joke, yes. and I'm always 
always happy to see that. I I love I love Batman being serious, but every once in a while I like him to break character. And I think Andy Leyland said it said it that it's always that the, the time you should be worried about Batman the most is when he starts to smile. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the fact that we get a moment of him starting to smile. It means that, you know, he's ready to he's ready to do some do some dirty work here. Did you read that in Kevin that that joke in Kevin Conroy's voice? Mm-hmm. Well, I read everything when Batman, at least the Earth One Batman, is speaking. Oh, okay. I always hear it in Kevin Conroy's voice. Okay, that that particular line just rem- felt like something you would have seen on Batman the Animated Series. To me. Mm-hmm. But, uh, we get another great shot of the tangent Batman as the doors open, and he's it's kind of a Dutch angle, and he's surrounded by the carved up bodies of his enemies the enemy is vanquished mm-hmm. and of course you know our batman's like hey you went too far you know yeah it's it's a nice way to delineate between these two batman they're both focused on the end game but our batman doesn't want to kill even though he carries around explosive batarangs <laughs> sorry uh, yeah and it might have had a little more punch had he not just the page before you know, been pretty okay with the Joker blindly firing pistols in every direction. Mm-hmm. But say what you will. <laughs> um, page seven is my next note. Uh, we get a new tangent character and this character of Orion, mm-hmm. who I guess is some way a teleporter or something like that. I guess we'll learn a little bit more about him in later books. Um, I guess it's nice that we have. Uh, a character who's associated with the new gods because essentially the way Tangent Superman and Power Girl get to our Earth is through a boom tube of sorts. So there oh, you go. I didn't pick up on that, but yeah, you're right. That's kind of mm-hmm. neat. Hmm. My next note's not until over on page 10. Okay. Same here. Yeah, pages 10 and 11. And I guess part of this goes back to what we talked about in the letters section, but reading these two pages and even the one back where they arrived on the Earth, on Earth, it's really hard to be completely convinced that Superman is a villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a dictator of sorts, but this isn't Darkseid or, or Lex Luthor wanting to crush all opposition underfoot and, and rule people simply for the power. He genuinely wants to help people, and, and he has, albeit at a cost on his world, and then he shows that he wants to do that here, even though he... You know, as he said initially, he's basically taking the power that he hasn't been given. But Jurgens and, and even Mark Miller before him, who wrote the original Superman issue, have really crafted an interesting character here who, you know, in another context, wouldn't be seen in a vil- as a villain at all. No, you're right. And that's that's the great thing about these characters is and it's the great char- it's the great thing about characters who are considered the heroes in their own mind i'm certain again hearkening back to the dr doom thought doom always believes himself as the hero even though you know groups like the fantastic four and iron man and whoever oppose him always see him as the villain he's trying to do the right thing and the superman here is trying to do the right thing as he's as he's paying for these people's uh, meals and making sure that they have rent and and the, the ability to find a place to live it's all very noble stuff, but again, it's the approach that he's going through to try and get that that's that's somewhat questionable. Right. Um, I think my note on page eleven is is 
well, I've got a few notes. One is it really helping by buying these people food for a month and housing for a couple of years. It's the whole, it's the whole idea of you know, you know, buy a person a fish, they eat for a day, teach a person to teach a person to fish, they eat for a lifetime type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, how much are they going to eat in a month? He's giving them ten thousand dollars for a month of food. <laughs> That is a that, lot of money for food. That is a lot of money for you know. I know my wife and my family eat out a lot. I don't think we spend ten thousand dollars a month on food, <laughs> especially. And now, granted, we don't go out to you know fancy, swanky metro- metropolitan restaurants every night, but that could be the case. And then three, my final note is: How would tangent money be an acceptable currency in the DC universe? Is the money I essentially the too. same? I mean, he's pulling it out of this sort of. He says he pulls it from his bank, and I guess it's a kind of, you know, teleporting thing that he can do. Is the Tandit Universe money going to be accepted in here? It'd be kind of like trying to pay for your meal with, you know, Prussian francs. You know, there, it's it's money that doesn't really exist on this earth anymore. How is it going to have any value? So yeah, that just kind of confused me. And even if it is the same currency. He's going to end up, depending on how much he pulls, he's going to end up destroying the economy of this earth by flooding with all this extra money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, economics-wise, it it doesn't work. And Professor Allen could probably come in here because I think he's an economics professor. He, he, he is – what did his email say? Uh, Department chair of Dumanomics. So, so. yeah, so he, is, he does know Dumanomics. So perhaps he'd have a – a, a grasp on how the uh, economy would be affected by uh, pulling money from another universe to uh, pay for stuff over here. Uh, one last note on page 11. It looks like the restaurant they go into is Bender's Dining. Mm-hmm. Probably a reference to Auto Bender. Auto, oh, there you go. I like that. Uh, let's see. My next note is on page 12. And again, it's a commentary on Batman Blue as he says uh, – that he doesn't use guns. However, he does throw like <laughs> three or four batarangs with explosive devices that blow up these robots really well. So no guns, no guns. I can't shoot anyone. But I've got these batarangs around with giant explosive devices that can blow up giant robots. But they're inanimate robots, so it's okay. Yeah, but of course he would never use these batarangs <laughs> on humans if, you know, if worse came to worse. And, and God forbid that he actually pick a batarang out of his belt and actually throw the wrong one at someone instead of knocking him out, you know, <laughs> lodging in their skull and blowing it up. Yeah, that, that would never happen. Look at that third panel with Manhunter really tiny in the background, just randomly shooting, like, up and down and sideways. and Yeah. Yeah, that's... I'm not a gun person, but I'm pretty sure that's not how you fire guns. Uh, no. No, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, she is. Yeah, I'm looking at that third panel. She's shooting <laughs> forward and then she's shooting at, yeah. And, and you know, well, because it is a very skinny panel, you can't tell if there is something coming in from on top of her. Right. Well, but maybe. Maybe that's the case, but it, yeah. <laughs> maybe she's just not quite used to being the manhunter. She's still got the Joker thing going Those on. Those goggles so. are inhibiting her vision. That's probably it. Bad, poor peripheral vision, she can't tell. <laughs> I'm, I, I don't have any notes till page 14. Uh, go ahead. And that's just to say, yay, Plastic Man is back. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's nice. To, 
Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's it's nice to see him back, and yeah. it's nice to see him as sort of the big bruiser type person, mm-hmm. kind of a a Hulk type character. You know, the fact that he's orange now, he looks more along the lines of a Ben Grimm thing from the mm-hmm. Fantastic Four. So that's fun. Yeah, he he, despite the or uh, in addition to the color, he looks visually a little different. But I'm not sure if that's just uh, an intentional shift or just because of the the different artist. So. <laughs> Could have been because he's been rebuilt, but yeah, because I guess he got melted down, and maybe this is uh, an element of what uh, Sir Williams and Hex's magic keeping together mm-hmm. that gives him this different form. So yeah. that could be it. Uh, my notes, my next notes on page sixteen. Do you have anything before that? No. Okay. Uh, at the top of the page, because this Superman has finally done something beneficial for the country or beneficial for Metropolis, now he gets all these sort of hangers on trying to ask for a request. And some of them, I will admit, are legitimate requests. You know, for here, they've got one, uh, my wife has cancer, the bills are killing me. There's another person who said he wants to find my son who's missing in Iraq. Mm-hmm. My son disappeared in forty in, in Vietnam 40 years ago. But then there are people who are like, I always wanted a Porsche and, and a house with a pool. Yeah. So it's that whole thing. Once you start down this road of providing things to people, you're going to get these people who legitimately need the kind of help that Superman is willing to give, but you're also going to get these people who just want wealth and niceties and things for their own personal gain. So I'm glad that Jerkins is, is displaying both sides of here. He's not just displaying people who are in need, but he's also displaying the sort of the the people who aren't being as I'm trying to think of a word of it altruistic exactly and trying to be as altruistic yeah. you know who are who are in it more for their own personal need right but uh, after I, that I, I do love this beat where he says his name is Superman and everyone mm-hmm. just stops and is like yeah about that <laughs> and the, which leads to you know I will say I. I love this final splash page. I think Superman looks great. I think Power Girl looks great. However, I do think Superman is doing the sort of ethnically stereotypical, no, you didn't, kind of head bob thing there. Yeah, but, a little bit. But uh, he, it, it's so good to see this Superman. Yeah. It, it really does my heart good to see him in it. And I, I, I will forgive some of the wonkiness and some of the art in the prior parts of the issue simply for this page. So I do. And I, I don't want this to sound like a judgment, but cause I obviously it's a cliffhanger, but I, I do wonder what prompted Superman and power girl to show up or Superman at all. I mean, the tangent characters aren't causing trouble per se, you know, maybe stirring up a bit of a commotion with the crowd gathering and all, but does that really warrant two of the most powerful characters in the, in the DCU? Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, I don't know where Power Girl was stationed. Was she a denizen of Metropolis? I was going to look that up. I don't, would I don't, she have, I don't think she was. So I, I, I'm wondering why specifically would she be here other than the convenience of you know the tangent Superman and Power Girl are here. And it's, well, that's, I'm sure that's a large part of it. But yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But overall, you know what? Uh, 
it's it's a drop in storytelling, but not such a drop that it's like, oh, I don't want to read any more of this. It's still a good story, and it's it's again a drop in the artwork, but not so bad that again I'm unimpressed with it. Mm-hmm. There there are moments throughout all of it, so I'll, overall a, a decent work. And I just noticed one one more little Easter egg before we move on to the next story on the newspaper that's fluttering around here at the bottom of the page. Mm-hmm. We've got Wes Craig's name. And then in the upper corner of the, the back page there, it says, Arrested D. Davis. The inker was Dane Davis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Nice. It's always cool to find those little Easter eggs in the books. Okay, well, are you ready to go to the backup story? I am. Okay, this one was History Lesson, Chapter 7. Once again, written by Ron Mars. This time, the penciler was Andy Tong. Andy Tong, I guess, sorry. The anchor was Mark McKenna. The colorist was Dom Reagan. Letter was Travis Lanham. And the editor was Nachi Castro. Wondering what Jenny Lynn Hayden is going to do next, Guy Gardner watches her disrobe, oh my, as as she tells him her plans to overthrow Superman. She appreciates the info Guy has been providing and asks him to continue by filling her in on the flash. Guy says her history is an not that book. kind of flash. Well, not yeah. Well, there was almost a flash by Jenny there. <laughs> Guy says her history is an open book. Her parents were astronauts on the first mission to Jupiter. Leah was conceived in space and might possibly be made of light. Her mom is an is an attention hound, and her father is a bumbling agent for Nightwing. Later in her career, she teamed with the Secret Six and got pwned by Superman when he decided to take over and was rumored to have been recently trapped in another universe. Finally, stripping down to her sexy workout gear, Jenny tells Guy that they need heavy hitters like the Flash to aid in their coup d'etat, and and they want Guy to help them save the world. And I don't have much to say about this. I mean, uh. I think with the uh, inclusion of Andy Tong or Andy Tong to the book, Jenny's taken on a new look. It seems that she's pulling sort of the Psylocke trick where she used to be sort of, she she looks a bit more Asian now. Um, And it looks like her waist has gone away and her boobs have expanded to inordinate size. So not that that's a bad thing. I'm certain if Shag were reading this, he'd be saying that she's hot. So, I was surprised to see the art, the new artist on the backup strip. I'd forgotten that that switched as well. Um, like the switch with the main story, I'm not as fond of this art, but that I, that's probably more of a personal preference because it is, you know, it's perfectly serviceable and it gets the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, I am interested to know if all these art changes were planned from the start or if stuff just came up where Igel and uh, Fernando Pesaran weren't able to continue for some reason yeah Um, well and i think that even after this i think we get a couple more art changes in the book as well mm -hmm. Uh, if i'm uh, you know i've read i've read ahead in mike's amazing world to see who's going to be coming up on the art duties and everything but yeah it's it's not bad but like i said it is kind of a, a change and i i would have liked if they could have kept it consistent throughout the story and if they would have gotten a different artist if they would have gotten an artist who would have sort of kept the same style as the previous one. Yeah. But, yeah. But, you know, all that said, though, like always, we you know, the story is a good recap of the character. Um, you know, 
I, not to be a broken record, it's just not something that helps us out too much or provides a lot of conversation because you know we we read the original books and uh, talked about those there. But for people picking this up at the time who hadn't read those books in a decade, it's a good refresher. So, oh, definitely. I, I am kind of curious why Jenny suddenly feels the need to get naked or at least sexy clothes, but maybe we'll find out next time. Maybe, maybe it's just, you know, like I said, it looks like she's stripping down to like workout gear. So is she and guy going to fight or is she going to teach guy to fight? Maybe. I don't know. It's, it's not, but it's not bad. I mean, she's drawn very well, if Mm -hmm. very stylized, but I guess that's a thing. Sure, why not? So, but you got anything else? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just sitting here at the looking at that final panel. I'm like, you know, when did when did she decide to just you know get all you know sexy workout karate Psylocke girl? Uh, oh, whatever. No, no, I'm 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 finished with the issue. Yeah, overall, uh, overall, a minor step down, but not a complete waste of an issue. Yeah. Are you still enjoying the series so far, or? Actually, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm still. I'm, I, I I'm guess still compared to your other yeah, podcast, it's yeah, yeah. compared to uh, having to talk about the uh, Ben Ray run on Green Lantern. This is this is an absolute joy reading every page. <laughs> go right. away, Ben Ray, go away. <laughs> well, well, beginning with this issue, uh, these issues are reprinted in Volume Two of the Tangent Superman's Reign trade paperback. So. Time to move on to a new book if you're reading that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's it for this episode. Next time we'll be on to issue eight and we'll see what's going on with Jenny here in the backup and uh, more of the Superman's exploits in the DC universe. And we'll see if our, our heroes can get home again, I guess. But until then. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Oh, thank goodness we don't script out these endings because they sound so natural and awkward. listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, hosted by me, Michael Bradley, and me, Sean Ingle. The show can be downloaded from a variety of places, most notably Michael's website, greatcrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes. It also can be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines. And if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review. Maybe even a five-star one. Every review helps more people find out about the show. The show is also on Facebook, where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted. Plus, images, plot elements, and general discussion about the books can be found there as well. Want to send feedback about the episode? Send us an email at tangent at greatcrypton.com. All feedback is warmly welcomed, and we will definitely read your comments on the show. 
When Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman. And Sean hosts a number of podcasts, including Just One of the Guys, Walking Dead Wednesday, The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Listen to the Prophets, and Who True Freaks. And all of these shows can be found over at twotruefreaks.com. Speaking of Two True Freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the Amazon link at twotruefreaks.com. After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the Two True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Because in the Tangent Universe, you only know the names. Special thanks to Emily Middleton for providing this episode's intro. Emily is host of Uncovering the Bronze Age and co-host of the Shortbox Showcase. Be sure to check out these and all the shows on the Relatively Geeky Network at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Did you see the news they announced today? No. What's that? They're going to have a new wave of 12 tangent books. Really? All all written by Ben Rabe. I fucking hate you. (laughs)